Well, here we are. This is a, a huge episode, partly because I didn't record one for a while, but I've, also because I got Johnny Harris back. Johnny, thank you so much for joining me again. Excited to be here. This is uh, it's great. I think this is our third podcast together over the years, so it feels good to it is. be like a, a return, like a return guest. It's like a status. Yeah, you're a wanted. fixture so of the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, and <laughs> you're here for episode 100. Which some people were talking to me on Twitter, like, what are you going to do for episode 100? I'm like, I'm just going to get the best guest. And that's, that's about it. Um, but I mean, it, it is also pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's a nice round number, 100 episodes. Yeah. But it's not like people celebrate like 100 YouTube videos or anything. That's not, that's not really a thing. It's more of a, maybe no. podcasters get more excited about it. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm happy to be here on episode 100. Well, if anybody doesn't know what Johnny does, which of, of course you all do, <laughs> he makes really fantastic videos just about the world like things that you've probably wondered about or may not have thought to wonder about but um like i mean first of all where where you are since last time you came on the first time you came on you hadn't started your youtube channel yet um next time you were further into it i I think you just kind of warmed up then last time was when you were in calgary Mm -hmm. um, and you're kind of full steam ahead with it and now you're like Mm -hmm taking off and it's amazing and it's like obviously become you know the the i I think the most of what you're doing at the moment but yeah uh, it is it's the the, it's the majority of what i focus on in terms of videos on youtube for so many years it was uh vox and it was making journalism um and and that ended uh i sort of uh borders usa was canceled which was my show uh that i had done it Vox and I sort of decided to not continue uh, exploring stuff at Vox and to start my own channel. And it's been that was a bit of a risk because you know when you when you work at a institution that has a lot of clout and a lot of notoriety, it's a lot easier to just sort of make stuff and be a part of this big output of information and and videos and subscribers and all of that. Um, and so it was a bit of a risk, but. Uh, it's worked out really well so far. So that really is my full-time job now is making YouTube videos and then also growing our, our startup, uh, which is a, like a course platform for same type of thing, smarter videos about the world and how to understand the world, but more geared towards like travel. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm so glad that, well, first of all, with your channel, I'm super glad that you started doing this sort of self-directed thing. Does it feel like you were able to be any more free in terms of the topics that you choose uh, or were, did you already kind of have the freedom to take it where you wanted before or like now is it is it a lot more open like did anything really change in terms of your subjects that you decide to tackle yeah totally it changed a lot um mainly because when you represent a journalistic institution there's certain norms and like reputation considerations that you have to keep in mind like you the rigor around fact checking and around like how you characterize stuff is so much more extreme because you're you know you're part of the press like you you have to get it right and you and you have to and you're representing an institution you're not just representing your personal voice and so while i did have a lot of creative freedom and i had a lot of editorial freedom there was that weight and responsibility which also has a big upside too uh that has gone away now that i'm on my own I pick topics like why I hate breakfast and, uh, you know, stuff like that. That's like a little bit more trivial and like maybe not worthy of like journalistic 
reporting, but it's <laughs> I don't know. still I fun. Go that far, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Like I, I, I try to find rigor in in every topic I cover, but like it's a little more ranty. I can get on a soapbox a little bit and sort of be more personal, and that's really fun. But it's also I sort of miss having being surrounded by like journalists who like keep me really, really like push me to go deeper. I don't have that. I don't have any oversight right now, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. But I sort of miss it in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have those feelings often, too, of, uh, you know, what I was doing when I worked with a bigger team wasn't producing media, but just having like-minded people surrounding you that have, I don't know, that'll tell you you're wrong or tell you your idea is dumb and then give you a new idea like that, that sort of feedback loop of more people can be really helpful. And uh, yeah, I mean, for anybody doing freelance, like it's obviously a totally different piece, but you know... I, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to take this. I hadn't said any uh, topics before this. I want to hit on the Sony A1 at some point. Just talk a little bit about gear. Um, there isn't that much more gear I want to talk about. A lot of what I want to talk about is just like creating stuff lately because it's also been it's been a super weird year to be to be making it's, anything. Oh and my gosh! It, so yeah. it's like it's also it's an interesting year for you to have kind of blown up like or you know I, in my words let's say you blo- you've blown up in the last year but like mm-hmm. all that growth in a time where like the backbone of what you are about was like traveling and being on the road and now it's like oh all of that kind of goes away and you've sort of really hit your stride and found your audience which is like an interest like yeah actually that a lot of people are discovering you not thinking of you as the person that's on the road all the time yeah, it's so know. weird. It's like it's like forging my identity in my office as like an animator, yeah. which is like not what I am. Like <laughs> I use anim- I use animation to like help enhance my stories like when I'm out on the ground like interacting with the world and showing visuals uh from my trips and like that's the heart of like the journalism I I like to do. And so it is very strange that like I've had to lean into these explainers, which luckily at Vox, before I ever did field explainers, like field documentaries, I I did do a lot of voiceover and animation. Like that was sort of the heart and soul of my like training as a visual storyteller. And so I, I'm sort of almost going back to that map explainers, uh, animated explainers with a lot of voiceover. It's very, very different than uh, what I eventually started to do uh, at, at Vox. But luckily, I'm, I'm fluent in it enough that, that I can do it. But when I start traveling again, I'm excited to introduce my audience to like, hey, guys, this is what I actually do. Like, I actually go out and <laughs> yeah. sort of like vlog yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah. And and like, this is like where I'm in my natural habitat. So it's been very strange. And I'm honestly so ready for it. I'm so ready. I, I feel like I'm scraping so much fodder visually from the Internet and from map data that I'm just like, let me just go point a camera at something. And in that and in that case, you talk about gear, like gear, I've just been out of the gear game because I don't need it. Like it's, I yeah, just right. need a nice microphone and, and After Effects. Like that, those are my tools these days. Yeah, I mean, the, the gear thing has sort of been, um, you know, from the outside, like looking at people, what, the interesting stories, a lot of them are in terms of the accessories as well. Like obviously we've had great cameras come out. But the things that have made the big impact is that, like, there are so many great studio lights and, like, more live streaming options and mics and sort of, like, people's ability to do stuff like this has kind of been where I've seen people doubling down. Um, yeah. Things I've been thinking about lately. So, like, per- personally, right now, I've been, like, in such a... Um, 
not so much like I'm not like down on, on, on the work that I'm doing, but I'm very, it's so hard for me to focus. I'm just like, I can't keep my mind on what I'm supposed to be doing. Probably because I'm checking the news every 15 minutes. Um, yeah. but it's, it's been this, like we, the, the same effect that you're talking about of like, I'm used to creating things that are like pretty visual. Like that's kind of my theme. It's like tech, but also creating something visually interesting with it and then it's like it's winter here we're like going through a series of lockdowns and there's like there's not that much to point my camera at lately and so it's been this like you know trying to to find like what's worth talking about that is at home and uh like kind of under that is like in a super controlled environment um and what i've found i think part of the thing that's been hard for me about that is that it really means like talking in, in my niche. It's like talking about tech at a really like technical level and just like kind of looking at the product and spending a lot, a lot of time focused on the product instead of focusing on what you can do with it, which was what was always a little more like exciting about videos mm-hmm. when I was traveling more. Um, you know, we were lucky yeah. enough to, we did travel in last summer, which things are, you know, have changed a bit. It's a little harder to travel at the moment, but like we were traveling at least that one time and got a few videos out about that. And it's like, Hey, that looks a lot more interesting. Like something, there's something to look at. But yeah. Right now yeah. it's like, I don't love spending so much time sort of navel gazing about just the technology and not like, okay, what's something interesting? What does this yeah. do for you in your life? Um, totally. So I don't, I, yeah. I'm a little like jealous of your, your structure because it's like, you're talking about like broader topics that are always interesting, you know, like you can, yeah. you can very much be anywhere. Other people that have success with explainers, like I'm thinking of like CGP gray, it doesn't even use photography right and yeah uh, yeah the ideas are inherently interesting um like the yeah, interest yeah. is you could just talk about it and it would all be there um totally. so i don't know i i, I, I li- really like that about what you've been doing but yeah i appreciate that and luckily that is one of the fallbacks is like i have been able to find stories that i can tell from a very macro level i call it like the macro which is just the broad story. Like I literally just did one this week about China and like the rise of China. It was like the broadest story you could ever imagine, like all the way from like the 1600s to modern day China. And it's just like, that's what I'm leaning into. It's, it's interesting. What I miss though is sort of exactly what you miss in terms of like the interesting stuff is like the micro, like what, how this applies to the real world, whether that's tech, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for you, like for me, it's like how these issues affect people and actually like uh, affect how they're living. That's interesting to me. I was able to get a little taste of this, um, a video I made a while back on the country of Liberia, which just has this insane story that I, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, the I was able to ask my friend, uh, Drew Binsky, he's another YouTuber, if he knew anyone in Liberia. And I got connected with this guy on the ground who he started like WhatsApping with. And I started to ask him to go like film stuff for me. I was like, oh, there's this one thing I need to see this building that's like really important to the story. Can you go film it? He's like sending in videos to me. And I was getting that buzz of like, oh, that's the real world out there. Like that's like that's the way it actually looks on the ground. And like <laughs> I've lost touch. I've lost touch with like going out. The and world still exists. Evidence. I can't believe it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's like that's that is the meat of these stories in my mind. And every Borders episode, everything like it's geared towards explaining how it actually looks on the ground instead of just that sort of 
macro map view, which is fun and useful and interesting, but like, oh, it doesn't it doesn't scratch the itch for me. So yeah, I'm I'm eager right. to get out. This there. is making me come up. I'm coming up with a theory on the fly. So right now, the the biggest news by far has been the you know the Wall Street bets stuff and GameStop stocks potentially bringing down the stock market and and all that. And I was I was noticing on Twitter the other day I was like this story has actually taken over my Twitter feed more than any of the other crazy news stories that have happened in the last six months or so. Like they they obviously were big and I was seeing them a lot, but every literally every single person had some kind of take on the stock market situation. And I was thinking that like maybe the reason is because like most of the other stories we most of us that don't live in Washington DC like can't directly connect to our real lives. We can't go outside and see the results of a lot of these things. But the stock market thing, it's like when you open up your phone and look at the stocks app, you're actually having this like direct connection from like the crazy news stories in your timeline has some sort of like material connection to reality a little bit and that people are I don't know. Like it's, there's just this like super storm of how interested people in are this. Cause there's also money involved. There's, you know, meme, <laughs> meme drama, which people love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't know. I just found that like people are going nuts for this story and that yes. uh, in, in a time yeah. of like everything else already being interesting. But I, I think you're right. It's this perfect storm of so many elements that like, makes it feel real and close to people as opposed to these other big forces that are like sort of hard to get your head around, especially COVID stuff where it's like, you can look at data all all day long, but like our brains Mm -hmm. are not wired to like really be able to comprehend data. We sort of pretend to, and we like look at the charts and like, wow, that's a lot, you know, that's a big number. And like, I rely on data all the time, but like at the end of the day, people want a story and they want like, they want to be able to envision like the outcome of something and think oh, about did, it in did you terms the, that they realize the, um, what, the what was rights. The, the, so, okay. So somebody pre-purchased a publisher pre-purchased the rights to a book about the GameStop story. <gasps> and then within the day, Warner Brothers, I think it was Warner Brothers, somebody, a studio had bought the rights to the movie of that book that was just optioned about the story. So that, like within... That's amazing. And that, yeah. And we're still in the middle is of it. it. Like you can't write the book yeah. yet because it hasn't happened yet. Like this is I, all happening right now. I literally said, so I did a GameStop explainer this morning, or I did it over the weekend, honestly. Uh, I put it up this morning, which I don't really usually do. But one of the takes that I didn't actually include in the video, but I, I said... Man, this this is just such a perfect storm. I'm so excited to see to watch the movie about this in a year from now or something, because <laughs> yeah. it just it just had all the trappings. So that's real. I didn't know about that about the books and the the rights to the story, but that's exactly right. Like it it feels it's this comeback story. It's like 2008 is like still on our minds about how like these other people were ir- like were irresponsible with market manipulation and and they didn't pay any price and now. We're sort of getting back at them. There's all these elements that are so enticing uh, for for a good story. So, yeah, I think that's totally right. So something that you do well, like you strike a good balance of um, that I worry about. It. So if I were to cover topics that are like pretty broad like this, a lot of the time my concern is is getting it wrong. Like I, do, I really don't want to put incorrect information out there. And so, you know, the fact that you have a journalism background makes you 
perfectly equipped to like be really rigorous in your research and be really confident about what you've put out there that, you know, maybe my, my lack of that background makes me less confident about it. But, um, because of that, I've sort of taken on less of the, of the kind of big topics lately. And something that I think you've done well is keep, uh, I mean, keep you, keep it from feeling political, like feeling, keep yeah. it from feeling like you're being bias. Well, I don't know the way to frame this. I don't like the perspective that people have of like, you can't be biased. You can't have a perspective because like, you, you know, you're talking about this in one of your recent videos. We all have it. We all are coming from whatever perspective we already have. And we are going to, our bias will shine through. Um, but you are, are are doing it in a way where it's like, it doesn't feel like you're pushing an agenda. You're more about just education and I really like that angle, um, but it's like, it's a really fine line to walk. So it's like, you know, talking about any of these current events, like you are, so it feels like you are taking a side so easily by even just having an argument about it, you know, like even like trying to understand the whole context of whatever's happening in a situation is like, I don't want to feel like I'm jumping on a side or representing information wrong. I don't know. Have you, how you kind of felt like that? This is, this to me, I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's a general almost mission of mine is to present information in a way that sort of weaves through and avoids the typical pitfalls of, of like polarization or like falling into a very clear bias. Even, even though I have some of those biases, like that I, that I hold strong to personally in the stories and uh, there are some that I do lean into uh, and, and that I feel strongly about, but a lot of times I really try to weave, and I say weave because it's almost like you're avoiding landmines. Like at, at any topic, mm-hmm. the language you use signals to the viewer where you stand. And so I, if you watch a lot of my videos or if you were to read my scripts, you'll see me take language. Like uh, I, I recently did one, How the U.S. Stole the Middle East. And... And I changed the language to like make it feel like a like a storybook almost. Like I'm just telling this person did this and then this person did this. And that really helps pull it out of the popular vernacular that you've heard about the news and that you've heard a lot of pundits and sort of were saturated in a certain vernacular. I find that if you take the story out of that vernacular and you tell it in different terms, it's fresher and more interesting to listen to. But it also doesn't like trigger those same defensive political stances that like you take in a typical conversation because you're you're taking a, you're using different ingredients almost and and so that's sort of a, a very in-depth sort of look in, into like the background background of like how i think about storytelling and with these sorts of issues but like it's really a language thing like if you were if you look at my videos with that lens you'll see it left and right how i just change words and like say it in very different terms just to avoid any of that pitfall well do you feel like in the end do you ever end up getting dragged into these arguments though because like obviously anything i mean even talking about you talk about the rise of china like that is a topic that's you know likely to get somebody frustrated for one reason or another based on how you represent some part of it do you end up actually avoiding the landmines or do you still end up stepping on them sometimes I mean, it's the YouTube comment section. There's no avoiding uh, anything that that is <laughs> that is terrible yeah. and uh, you know that you want to avoid in terms of uh, uh, fighting. Uh, no, I don't. I but I would say by and large, for the topics I cover, I'm able to 
develop a consensus of appreciation for the information that overrides the sort of fight over uh, the details. And mm-hmm. uh, and that consensus of information or that consensus of, a, of, of understanding is basically what I want viewers to feel. I want them to watch and I want them to get like excited about the fact that they now have access to this topic that like Wikipedia or the books or the newspapers don't give them access to. And like, I'm able to enlighten it in this way. And like, that's the goal. If, if the top comment is people being like, wow, thank you for making me interested in this thing. I didn't think I'd be interested in, like I've done my job. And so, no, I don't avoid it, but I definitely try to drown it out with, with, uh, cultivating an appreciation for the information instead of just like right. fighting over it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it ends up building an audience where like most people that are subscribed to you are at least understanding like where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. And hopefully, although I guess I don't know, like maybe you might, uh, you know, like you've had growth with subscribers, but you might still end up with a lot of non subscribers commenting on every video like that. I think that might be the kind of traffic you're you're still getting because it's like people are searching for or they're getting recommended your videos so you probably have a lot of non-commenter or non-subscriber comments currently which i get yeah as well like tech has tons of like kind of drive-by comments whereas you know say vloggers it's like more of a tight-knit community but yeah that's exactly right and and when a video goes big i start to see that more drive-by people who come in just to sort of nitpick uh and the only thing that really drags me in, like, usually I'm just like, whatever, it's the comments. And I have become like thick skinned at this point. Uh, like you sort of have to, if you're going to be on the platform. But um, the one thing that I, I actually like get ready to fight on is uh, typos. People, people. So I, I, I <laughs> yeah. am totally okay with typos. Like I, I in, in most contexts, like there's certain. Wait, wait, is this your like, typos stupid. in the video or people's typos in yes. comments? No, this is this. Is, these are my typos in the video. Like I have this like ruthless and aggressive stance that's controversial among a lot of people. That like I'm here as a communicator. I'm not a grammarian. Like I'm gonna make mistakes. Uh, and and the fact is like we're here to not nitpick those mistakes. We're we're here to like understand the broader scope of the video. Uh, and so, but but the internet is the exact opposite of that. The internet is a place where people love to correct little things. Like it's like, it's like mm-hmm. they've won the lottery that day. If they can find a mistake and call <laughs> it out in the public square, like that is like every commenter's yeah. dream. And so, and nobody and realizes so, they're all calling out the same mistake. Yes. And they're so excited. And like, they're all just like, this is amazing. Like, look. Um, and so I, that's, that pushes my buttons. That's where I, I will go in and, and get snarky and get sort of like, like polemic, which is like the dumbest, most petty thing in the world. But I sort of have this thing where where people are obsessed with it's it's kind of and this is maybe an interesting topic about gear, uh, maybe a segue into gear. But like it kind of reminds me of the person who doesn't ever shoot anything, like doesn't ever go out into the world and use their camera. They spend time thinking Wait, about are you talking the... about me in 2020 because it sounds really familiar right now <laughs> sorry, sorry sorry this is not this is not a jab i mean i i saw you at a, at a lodge in canada one time in a shoot i know you're you're a real deal <laughs> shooter so yeah. uh but this is like the the person who will uh talk to you all day about the rolling shutter or about um exposure or about depth of field but won't ever shoot anything and and 
they they see the tool as the end in and of itself instead of a means to like make beautiful images There's or a lot tell of them a story or whatever it yeah. is. Yes, and and the, the grammarians, the the pedants, I call them, are that like the people who correct the language, but they're not actually like enjoying or or sort of like delighting in the fact that like language can be used for these beautiful means to like tell stories and so anyway i feel very strongly about this uh for some strange reason but it's the one thing that will drag me deep into the comments and i'll just like you feel how do you feel about sort of like new misuses of words because like i've always tried to be kind of progressive about like okay language is changing it's always you know the way that people use it is what words mean i've been really frustrated lately with the young people's use of aesthetic and also that it seems to be switching a lot to aesthetic and (laughs) that like (laughs) just the the conception of what the word is like it's almost it's usually used incorrectly now that's become like the more common use is like that thing is aesthetic meaning it is cool like meaning you know it's like it's like uh referring to the the weather outside is like yeah that it's a lot of temperature outside there's so much temperature yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I have two feelings about this, and they're almost they're <laughs> sorry sort to put of you on the spot. <laughs> No, no. This is good. This the, I actually have like deep, sort of weird theories on this stuff. Um, so I just finished creating a language learning course for for Bright Trip, which is our our course platform. Oh, perfect. And in in that process, uh, I. In learning Italian, like I, I, the course is me and Nathaniel Drew, uh, uh, like basically unveiling all of our tips about language learning. And in the process, I'm learning Italian and the core sort of, and I promise this, this relates to aesthetic, like, uh, they're not just showing off. Yeah, exactly. I'm not just plugging my, my (laughs) brighttrip.com slash language, which you should Um, everybody go check out bright trip because it's awesome. Totally. So, um, but as I, I, our, our sort of philosophy on language is like the only language that's worth learning if you're learning a foreign language, which is a really hard thing to do, is the language that you're actually going to use, like the way it actually works. Like language is not math. It's not like verb plus noun plus preposition. It's like language is this like deeply expressive, very, very primal old part of us as humans. And it's a very unique part of humans. And it's a beautiful part of our culture that we get to express ourselves in these whatever way we want in the same way that like clothing is, you know. And so on that in that sense, if I if I put on that lens of like the hyper uh, like let all language in if people can use it and it can be understood, then I feel like let the kids say whatever they're going to say, no matter how wrong it is. And like if it becomes if it takes on a meaning of itself and it starts to become a more detailed, useful meaning than like, let it be, even if it's totally different. You know, there's so many words that are different now uh, that mean things totally different now than they did in, in 1912, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. we use them today and it's, and you it's just got to suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. It's just, that, that's, that's my one side. The other side is this, uh, when I hear people using words in these deeply imprecise ways, such that like, like, Oh, that word actually, is so useful and so rich and yet you're just lumping everything into it. Like mm-hmm. the word ironic mm-hmm. is a, is a great example, like where people use it yeah. as like a coincidence, uh, like, Oh, it's ironic that you're here. Cause my sister's here too. Uh, like, like that's not ironic and ir- ironic or irony is actually a deep, like beautiful literary concept. 
Uh, and so in that sense, I decry it because it's like, oh, you know, you're losing the beautiful meaning of these words uh, for these more reductionist meanings. So anyway, those are my two battling sort of paradigms on the on the change of language. Uh, and they're, they're sort of in opposition, but I don't know where I stand. No, I totally hear you. I have that like frustration of when, because yeah, it, but by turning one, turning you know, three or four d- different words that have clear defined meanings into one, you end up with less, a smaller vocabulary. Like there's just less ways yeah. to talk and communicate. And it's, yeah. I don't know. This is just part of becoming old. <laughs> I, I think, think I sure, think so. Sure and in fact, anytime, this, but. anytime I do the, the, the quote kids these days sort of vibes where I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, it's just crazy. Like when I was, a, when I was a teenager, like blah, 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 blah. I already hear myself, and I'm like, no, I will not become mm-hmm. that like cliche older older you man can't help it. who like looks back. <laughs> I know I could yeah. I could already feel it, so yeah. maybe I'll just lean into it. Yeah, just start a, a, a pedant channel, uh, correcting your uh, commenter's grammar. Um, yeah, exactly. Let's let's make sure we do touch on gear a little bit, though. So I'll, I'll, I'll switch gears to gear. Um, what do you? Uh, what have you been shooting on through the? Uh, pandemic times um still i was holding out for the a7s3 i'm a sony guy have been since mm-hmm. 2017 um it's a good year for you yeah and then and then when the when it came out i bought it and and but sort of late like i, I stuck with my a7 three uh for up until just about a month ago honestly and then these two a7s threes came in and i am loving them in terms of the noticeable and even one of my editors was like did you shoot with like new lights or something like what this footage looks <laughs> so much better and i was just like nope like this is the new is that camera. what you're using right now no this is an old a7 three so this is where the old the, the, the ones we used to use is now it's my webcam. webcam yeah exactly so uh but i've loved it uh from a the user experience on the menus is like smoother. Uh, I love the big HDMI cord that comes out of it. Um, and then, yeah, that 10 bit, you know, is like just presumably better footage. I haven't really graded it yet. Like I haven't been out. I've just done no color profile on anything, but I'm excited for the day when I can actually like lean into it and, and sort of see what it does in the field. Cause that's what really matters for me. Right. Were you shooting? Cause when you were in the field before you were shooting log before, right? I think you were. Yeah. For most stuff I was shooting log. Yep. And then grading it afterwards and, and slightly dissatisfied with like having to overexpose all the time and like not really knowing. And that's not, yeah. when I'm in the field, I'm thinking about story. I'm thinking about visual evidence. I'm thinking about interviews. I'm not monitoring, uh, all the scopes and the things like I'm just letting it go. And so that was a big issue. And I'm hoping that this more flexible bit rate uh, hopefully gives me a little bit more leeway and forgiveness in post. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you will find that. And also they've gotten better with like preview modes and it's all stuff that I'm looking forward to with the C70, which will hopefully be my next camera. If it ever comes in, no cameras are easy to get a hold of this year, but I'm still waiting on it, but it has like false color and like just easier exposure stuff. And like the uh, LUTs that you can preview in are more accurate. And um, I think every camera has gotten better with that stuff lately. Um, Big new one. I got to touch on it. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I do want to touch on the A1 because like it looks like we the last episode of the podcast was the gear of the year 2020. And so 
we were choosing like, hey, what's the best uh, hybrid camera right now? And we decided on the Canon R5. This was just the last episode. Now, since then, it looks like it's got to be the Sony A1. I mean, this looks like the just camera that's going to dominate everything. Like, if you want the best camera, this is the, like, let's hold nothing back, put every single feature in there. And Sony just totally did it. Like, this has everything, and it's amazing. And my main take on it, because, you know, I've, I haven't watched that many reviews. Like, I haven't used it, obviously. So my main take is that a lot of the comments at first were about the price, which I, I think, if anybody can confirm, I think it was like 6800 US. Um, yeah. You know, that's quite a bit. But, uh, no, 6500 because then I checked. And the what we have to keep in mind is that, like, pro bodies, I was looking at the Canon 1DX, uh, when it was first released, was 6800 So it was more. And... Hmm. This is what it costs for, like, the highest-end professional body when it's brand new. Like, there should always be a market for, like, look, we gave you everything. Every single feature yeah. you could hope for. It's all in here, but you got to pay more yeah. for it. And, like, it's still under 10000 Like, this is not an unreasonable price. Just because it's in a smaller body, you still got all those features. So, I don't know. I just I can't be I, offended by it. Yes, six, six Yeah, I, I agree. And especially because there is a there is a tiered system now of like the a7s3 is that still high end for maybe a prosumer or whatever but like not mm-hmm. it's it's not break the bank it's not the 6000 range and then you have obviously tons of options in the lower sort of under 2000 range it seems so it's like it, i love that they they're giving like that that's an option i think that's amazing my big concern has been sort of the concern uh, I've always had with these big launches. I remember, I think in the past, like, and I don't remember the specific models. I think it might have been like the Sony A9 or something, or like even the AR3, which is a great camera. Like, they were at a higher price point. I sort of looked at them and I was like, these are the these cameras have it all. But then I realized that they have it all for like a certain person and like not for me. And that's what when I see this, I think like, okay, on paper it has it all seemingly but it's like will this actually be the right camera for me when i'm out in the field um and i don't know until i use it and that's or i don't know until i really see people using it in the in the context that i would be using it because on paper that's not enough for me like i need to actually see how it how it does and how it performs what the footage looks like all of that because the specs aren't aren't enough to to signal that to me but certainly it looks very promising and uh it's awesome that it's so small yeah, and the one, uh, okay, what I would fault this camera for is actually kind of classic Sony, and it's more about the actual design of the camera, like the, the the usability. When other brands like, you know, Canon 1DX have done their flagship camera that costs more than everything else, like you're, you're paying a premium because this is the newest tech crammed into a smaller body, and like you're paying for the fact that this, they're going to sell less units because this is, you know, there's all these reasons that this camera is more expensive. The What everyone else has done has redesigned the body so that at a glance, you're like, oh, that's the expensive one. I can just tell by looking at it. Like that obviously mm-hmm. should and would cost more because it's bigger <laughs> is often part of how you mm-hmm. indicate that. Um, the controls are a little different. Maybe there's more buttons that are accessible on the outside. Like all these things that visually signal to a consumer like this is the one that you want to spend more money on but since the a1 looks almost identical to the whole a7 series like to everything else people are 
relatively superficial and have a hard time grasping like, oh, you know, (laughs) it may look the same, but it actually does something different. And so I think that's a big misstep by Sony and a lot of the reason people feel like maybe it's not worth the price that they're putting on it. Um, Which is so funny. It's like it's the same. It's like it's so funny that like (laughs) because of the way it looks and feels we're like, oh, this can't this can't possibly be that much better. Can't be worth more. Yeah, because look at it. I mean, just look at it. And it's like, well, do you know that camera? It happens on the inside. Why, why it's better. You know, it's like not it's not what the, the chassis is, you know. And so but that is a funny sort of study in human psychology around like we need it to have slightly different knobs and be slightly beefier to the hand when you hold it. So you can like feel like, OK, this is worth double the price. Like, look, feel how beefy it is. Like, that's such a, just a primal psychological need we have. That has nothing to do with like rational, like oh, it's actually a better camera on the inside. Yeah, no, but it, but it's it's like it's dumb, but it's also like you they they have to notice this. They've been designing products for how old is Sony? Fifty yeah. years? Like they got to be aware of this yeah. by now. They've done it before. I don't know. It just seems like a, yeah. a bit of a misstep. But um, totally. But yeah, I mean, feature wise, yeah. obviously, like kind of got to see more. Uh, another thought. I mean, something I noticed in the comments here was about that it uh, you know it's more expensive than say the C seventy or the Red Komodo, which is is true but it also is an amazing stills camera which those aren't at all you know it also is 50 megapixels which like i'm on the record is like i don't care about megapixels but this is the top of the line camera it should have the sensor that the best sensor out there so um you know like that's why this is the best hybrid camera um and something i noticed in in some of the responses on twitter as well like people saying like but who is this camera really for because who needs both that like amazing stills quality and video quality in one body there's a lot of people that travel and shoot photo and video now like it is such a reality of the modern world and anybody that's pretending that category doesn't exist is crazy and actually that reminds me of a tangent that i wanted to rant about like i almost i've been wanting to make a full video about but i can't i can't think of like 10 minutes worth to say so i'll just say my one minute minute (laughs) worth here is that um i every iphone video i get i talk about professionals using iphones especially for like that every photographer I know, all of them use an iPhone. There's no high-end creators and also filmmakers. But none of my friends, which I have quite a few that do like, you know, visual production work, they all use iPhones. Like it's just ubiquitous. And that I often say, you know, it's 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 what professionals choose to use most of the time. Obviously there are creators out there that use Androids. It's like it's a given. I'm just saying people in, in my circles. Um but the response is so often like, yeah, but no professionals use phones to create professional work. They're always using their real bigger cameras. So like, what does it even matter? Um, that is just so 100% true. And I just wanted to, or untrue. And I just wanted to point out that this week, like we were just doing a job where we shot a bunch of stills. No, we did it twice. We did it last month as well. I think I talked about it on the podcast last time too, but that like high end big commercial clients like and one of them the one that we just did this week is like a huge brand they are a major national international clothing brand and the request was specifically okay photos we shot on the real camera videos were all on iphone like they had or it could have been on any phone they didn't request which phone but like obviously i prefer iphone um and like it had to be on a phone and this has happened twice now in two months and it's like this is not this just is the reality of production right now. And so many people are confused about it. And also this one was a vertical video because it's for social brands are 
so much of their visibility is social media right now. And there's so many sort of gear snobs. And I think it's the people you were talking about earlier that are like, you know, using, they're more excited about the gear as an end, as opposed to what they're making in the end um, that are like, well, you know, but it's not 50 megapixels. It's not a hundred megapixels. It's not AK. And it's like that. What, what the visibility for most people trying to communicate, which is like individuals or companies, the way they reach their audience right now, so much of it is online. Like, they're, they might primarily be accessing their uh, customer base or community through TikTok or through Instagram or through Twitter yeah. or YouTube. Yeah. Like that might be yeah. the, the biggest access point. And to pretend that like, oh, so you shouldn't produce the best possible work for those mediums, like is just crazy to me. It's so short-sighted yeah. that people still aren't taking that stuff seriously. Anyway, yeah, I, I totally and, and I that's that is indicative of my a transition that's happened for me just in the past two years. I used to sort of scoff at the idea of iPhone footage and just be like, this is effectively worthless. Like this is like great for my family videos or something, but like nothing else. But I especially with the new lenses and like the flexibility with that, like I now have started shooting a significant amount of probably for the past year and a half of my like when, when I'm sort of in a quick vlog situation like I do it on my phone and it works and it totally works and it, yeah it's not like the same it doesn't have the same uh luster of a you know beautiful a7s or whatever but like it works for what I need it to and that's a really exciting threshold to pass because it means that I have like a really good camera with me it's like the promise. I feel like it was the. It's the promise of what uh, phone cameras were were like was back when it started. The the that promise, but it really wasn't until just recently where it actually crossed the threshold where it's like this is usable and it's actually good. Like if you look at Borders India, which is the last uh, Borders uh, season that published, that's a you know high level. Like we Borders gets nominated for Emmys. Like it's like a thing that is professional and. Yet a lot of that I shot on the fly on my iPhone and that's just the reality. And then, yeah, of course the social media component of it. So uh, I think, I think you're absolutely right that that is, that is, there's this resistance to it among gear people, but it's more and more becoming you know, the reality. Well, you know, how you can have like software that looks at your whole image collection. Like you could do this in Lightroom, for example, where you'd be like, okay, show me how many photos did I shoot on this camera or with this lens? Like you could sort by metadata. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that for the whole internet and views per piece of media, right? Like mm -hmm. how, you know, which was the most viewed video period in the world this month or whatever. I bet if you could sort all the media like that, you would see phones being the most viewed media, you know, more course, than any yeah. like professional high-end cameras, like more than mo any movies being made, all being shot on Alexa's more videos are being seen that are shot on whatever the current most popular yeah. phones are. Which, which um, back so. to my like big vernacular rant earlier, like the language that is being spoken is the language. Like that 100%. is the definition yeah. of the language that the language That's of such a video good yeah, is yeah, good phones. Yeah. It's like the yeah. exact same thing. So it's like lean into what's happening instead of like having a chip on your shoulder that it's like not the best or like lamenting the, the destruction of beautiful visuals because everyone's shooting on their phone. It's like, that's awesome. That's an awesome reality. Yeah. If there's any big filmmakers that are ignoring 
the internet, like they're going to fall by the wayside. Like it's part of our storytelling, like things like, I remember how sort of shocking it was to me the first time I watched David Dobrik videos. Cause I, you know, I wasn't watching them as he got bigger and I kind of found them when it's like, Oh, these are the videos that get 10 million views right now. The editing in those is insane. Like it does not make sense. There's no continuity. It's like, okay, we're here in a new scene. Something just happens with a series of quick cuts. Everybody laughs. And then you cut to a new other moment in time in a new location with a different cast of people that you haven't introduced. Everybody laughs and then you cut away. Like that format is so manic and, and, and really interesting. Like to just say it's bad is just so completely ignorant. It's like me saying that teenagers misusing aesthetic is, is bad. Um, Cause it's, it's working. Yeah. Like it, it is really hitting home with that younger audience in the same way that punk rock in the seventies sounded really new. And, and like it, yeah, it was bad music, but it, that was why it worked and it yeah. became so much a part of our culture and it's like people that at this moment are like well it's it's bad and it's sloppy so we can disregard it and like it's not it doesn't count as as real media Uh, just will not understand that this is going to be a a, like just completely embedded into our vocabulary in the future yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah i feel like that's a a theme that uh we're we're hitting on here yeah yeah, we we found a theme without setting one at the beginning yes Yes, which is that we are we are getting old and starting to feel the impulses to decry the youth, and yet, and in fact, this has been happening a lot lately with TikTok. I've like recently gotten on TikTok and like let the algorithm wash over my world to like start feeding me videos, and it is crazy to be like this is what this this is the new generation of like creators that I'm now starting to see on a huge scale, and. Like, I feel this aversion to some of it, but I'm like, cool, I can feel the aversion all I want and I'll be like a bitter old man. But like, this is <laughs> yeah. this is the way things are going. Yeah, yeah. I better just recognize it and like accept it. Okay. Perfect example of that. Are you, are you on TikTok yet? Yet? I no. Like, of course you will, but. I, I am actually planning on it at some point, but I'm not. No. Is my, my wife I mean, just started. You are so, like, your content is so, like, in the uh, perfect niche of like yeah this could go like you know 30 second explainer videos basically like yeah. take one of the facts that's from your video and and just tiktok eyes it uh, i mean like it could be crazy but like yeah i've i've had a really hard time with that i think i did talk about this on the last episode that like uh, anya's channel she posted a few tiktoks lately that like just totally blew up as a surprise like three hundred thousand views on a wow. no follower account and we're just like to pretend to keep pretending that TikTok's not here and like the platform of the year is really ignorant and just just like me trying to get out of learning something new. I'm still not doing yeah, it. So ex- I'm still being lazy ex- about it. Yeah, I'm I I'm in the same boat where I'm resistant only because I'm like I well I don't want to learn these new like there's a whole new cadence so and hard. there's all these there's like a new culture to it. But I thought like okay, well what's my what is the version of my videos? What's the value I add to the world with my videos and how could I distill that? And certainly you're exactly right. And I've come to the same conclusion. I could distill all of my videos into one big takeaway. That's 30 or 60 seconds. And like that would add value to a whole nother platform. 
and that's like a pretty easy lift, you know, like I could totally make yeah. that happen. So that, that is on and the horizon for with, me, I think in the next with, month. You'd be talking to people you want to, it's like, it's not like you don't want to reach them because they're a younger audience. Yeah. Like, of course we still want to talk to those people and be involved with like the, the fact that, you know, maybe they're spending more time over there rather than in YouTube. Um, which actually, okay. This reminds me of something else I want to hit is uh, clubhouse, which, uh, you're not on yet, so I'll just rant to you about my perspective. <laughs> but it's like it's so happening right now that I feel like I've got to touch on it a little bit right now because we're on a we're on a podcast. We're doing a podcast live, so this is like kind of the uh, you know more uh, official professional version of what Clubhouse does. <laughs> but it's really having it. It's going to take off quickly. Like it will it will matter a lot in 2021. Um, so, you know, you hear, heard it here first right now it's invite only it's iPhone only. Um, so it's not fully mainstream. And actually I really saw the limitations of it last night. Uh, Elon Musk did his first, uh, well, Elon Musk got on it, which everybody freaked out over. Cause it's like, oh yeah, he's going to do something live. Of course he'll put his foot in his mouth and it's going to be hilarious. And I actually haven't followed up to see what happened. I tried to join it and you can only have 5,000 people in a room at a time. So like, you know, wow. They'd be like this stream being limited to five thousand people, which is like just kind of weird. That yeah, I, mean, I don't wow, know. It's just streaming crazy. audio. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I th but I think there's this obsession. Yeah. It's just to, just on that point because yeah. I think it's yeah, really yeah. interesting. As we talk about clubhouse, there's in a world of like no friction to live streaming and to connecting, and especially this year, um, I worked on the end of year report for Google. Uh, for their trends for YouTube and did a bunch of explainers. And, and one of the big explainers that I made was about the rise of like all these different new live formats because of COVID. And I almost think that there's now this backlash to say like, like make exclusivity cool again, because inclusivity and freedom of access is so widespread. You can have access, you know, right. to your like through these live streams and whatever. And, uh, it almost seems like Clubhouse is a symbol of like uh, exclusivity being cool again, where it's like oh, in this day and age of everything being so accessible. Totally. Look at this thing that only 5,000 people can get in on, even though there's no technological limitation. There's no rational. It's purely like a psychological pull, which I think is really an interesting reaction to, to yeah. the media we've seen. And it'll come around, like, just to be clear, like, this will be on Android soon, and they're going to open up those, like, not because I'm talking to them, because I know how these things work, you know, Instagram, yeah. and I, was Twitter iPhone only as well? Like, Instagram was iPhone only anyway, and, like, mm. Facebook was invite only, and you had to be in a college, and, like, you know, these, all That's these right. platforms have gone through this phase, so this, yeah. the path of this is to open up, because they have investors, and they want to make a ton of money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, eventually everybody will be able to join, but, like, um, you're totally right about the that like hype train and it's part of like why I wanted to get in there at first too. I'm like, oh, I know that like a lot of VCs are in there and it's like a closed community and like, oh, that sounds exciting. Anyway, I want to give my hot take on it before we kind of run out of time. I know you have a heart out, so we're, we're going to have to wrap kind of soon. But my take on it, Clubhouse is going to end up taking away from the time people spend listening to podcasts. So like it's sort of like a direct comp petition to this show for example or anybody that does pre-recorded stuff or or live streams or whatever um first of all it is it's exciting like i am launching the app at least once a day and just kind of looking at it and there are very interesting conversations happening in it and i think the best of it is when people that 
never would want to start a podcast or, you know, kind of build a show are able to jump into a conversation and have the benefits of my favorite parts of a podcast with guests is like, it's just an excuse to have a good conversation. Like, you know, we, we've texted a few times in the last few months, but you and I haven't had an excuse to talk this much about anything. So it gives you that excuse. That is awesome. There is, I have absolutely, I'm like fully in support of that as a entertainer. Not entertain. I don't want to just call it entertainment, like a uh, infotainment medium, as a as a type of media you just ingest, you just absorb. Um, big problem. A lot of the rooms have way too many people in them. Uh, you know, if if you notice, this show never has more than three guests. Uh, most big shows don't have more than like four or five is a lot, but rooms on Clubhouse are like fifteen people, thirty people, all talking. Wow. You don't, you don't know who they are. Like, you can't start to identify with any of the guests. There's sort of not, no unifying factor and also not much of a filter in terms of quality of ability to contribute to the current conversation, right? So, um, you know, it's, it is great that everybody can have the potential of having a voice. But as an audience member, I'm, I want to listen to, you know, Johnny Harris's podcast because, like, I like his perspective and I, I know what he, I know what to expect that he's going to have this certain bar of, uh, the, the truthfulness of the information he's going to present to me, the entertainment value that is going to be there. Like I know his backstory a little bit. There's all these reasons you come back to a show and in clubhouse, you, you might only know one or two people in the room and then a bunch of other dipshits are going to join in that maybe don't have so much value to add and really enjoy talking and can totally dominate the conversation and steer it into the ditch like which is the same complaint i have about a lot of like live events and actually like live you know we're doing that we're recording this live um and a lot of live stuff will be heavily focused on the 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 chat which is like awesome for the conversation back and forth but as the listener later I don't love listening to like shows that record in front of a live audience and they let the audience stand up and ask questions. Cause usually the questions aren't as yeah. I, I came to listen to what those hosts had to tell me. Like I, I came because of their perspectives yeah. and often the questions can just sort of totally divert into rat holes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, don't know. I agree with that. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of like the reliability of a podcast, especially a podcast, which is a pretty immersive, not even immersive, but like it's a big commitment. Usually it's 30 to 45 minutes for an episode. You're committing to a good amount of time. Uh, there's no visual, so you can obviously do it while you're like driving or whatever. But um, I do think that at least for me, I re- I go to podcasts only when I know that like there's some reliability of like what I'm going to get if I'm going to sort of commit to 30 minutes of time ingesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think the draw would be if there's like someone I'm a big fan of or something, I would be interested to hear that person talk in any room about anything, even if there's 15 other people. Like, I think that, I think if there's anything that could drive this sort of laissez-faire Wild West version of live streaming and podcasting, like, it's going to be the fan draw and it's going to be the, whoa, Elon Musk is talking. Like everyone rushed to that, yeah. uh, you know, like as opposed to the more produced reliability aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious to see what this riff on the format looks like and feels like uh, going yeah, forward. I mean, definitely I check it out. out yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could to. complain about it all day long, but it's, um, 
it's a th- it, same as TikTok. I have a lot to complain about on TikTok, but it's here and it's going to stick around. So, uh, you know, I need to understand it. I, I can't just pretend it's not there. Yeah. The, um, uh, just two two grouchy old men just complaining about all the kids these days and trying to not That's the definition feel... of a podcast. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I'm super glad we could connect again, Johnny. It's uh, it's great to see your face chat with you a little while and uh you know do a podcast and um yes indeed there's there's been a lot of them and um, yeah like just one more time i'm so happy to see you just totally like find a way that you can super thrive this year it's been awesome to see you just take off yeah thank you it's been a really fun year and uh yeah i'm excited to keep keep building and and to see what the next step holds once i can actually take my camera to faraway places and <laughs> do what i like to do but i try not any to even think now. about that yeah any day now not really so right. anyway good to cool, see you man. though i'm glad we got to connect and uh ha- yeah i'm excited for the next time we get to do this again absolutely you'll be back thanks man okay awesome have a good day